0: Welcome to Nigerian-American. My name is LD. This is my podcast. In the last episode, I explained medical and birth tourism... And told two stories of childbirth. One about my sister Lara and the birth of her daughter in Nigeria. And another about my daughter Timmy and her birth in the UK. If you haven't listened to that episode, I suggest you do as it sets the stage for this one. To summarize that episode, I talk about the risks of something as simple as having a baby in underdeveloped countries that sometimes have inadequate medical infrastructure. And why most people from such countries who have the option choose to have their babies abroad. In this episode, I want to tell you a third story. This is a story about another one of my sisters. My name is Lola. Lola, just like my sister Lara, my brother Jide, and I, all got married within the span of a year. If you understand how expensive Nigerian weddings are, you'll pity my dad. I can't even imagine how much those events set him back. You know what, I should probably do a podcast about Nigerian weddings in the future. That should be an interesting one especially for non-Nigerians. Anyway, another interesting coincidence is that all my siblings and I that got married within that year, each had our first child almost back-to-back also within a year. It started with Lara, and then us, and then Lola, and then Jide. We all witnessed Lara and Mina's near-death experience, and we were all troubled by it, but I must have been the most paranoid, insisting that we go abroad. But... Like I mentioned in the previous episode, very healthy babies are born in Nigeria, and in most underdeveloped countries for that matter, so it's not crazy to have your babies at home. I just happened to have the convenience, and I considered it of extreme urgency at the time to go abroad. I imagine it was different on the list of expense priorities for my other siblings. My sister Lola had two healthy boys in Lagos, both at the private and rated St. Nicholas Hospital. Both births were free of complications. When she got pregnant for her third baby years later, she decided she wanted to go the birth tourism route. And she made plans to have her baby, you know, and stay with my sister, Tokbaya, in Virginia. Yeah, another sister. I have seven of them. I come from a large family. To tell the story properly, I called and interviewed Lola. I was only going to use her story to fact check mine, and I promised her that I wasn't going to use her audio. But the more I listened to it, the more I realized that in order to tell the story properly, I had to. So I reached out to her and got her okay. I'm still going to tell the story, but I want you to hear some of it as told by Lola herself. This is a very personal story, one that we rarely discuss outside of family. But I thought to share and Lola and her husband agree. Pay attention. Lola had been in the U.S. for some weeks before her planned birth. She planned to have her baby by CS, so the delivery was scheduled and everything was all set. The surgery went ahead and her baby boy was delivered. And everything seemed fine. But as Lola recalls, something kept telling her to stay awake and check on her newborn baby. She didn't know what it was, but she just sensed that something may be wrong. She was on meds. At the time, that would typically have you fall asleep in recovery, but she couldn't sleep out of worry. She couldn't see anything visibly wrong with her baby, but she says she just sensed that all wasn't well and that someone needed to take a closer look. There's something you should know about Lola. She's the hypochondriac of our family. She's usually preoccupied with health and wellness. She grew up having lots of allergies and had to watch a lot of what she ate, drank, and general hygiene around her. She had also developed a reputation among us siblings of being too finicky about health-related stuff and maybe even be seen to self-diagnose or sometimes exaggerate or be just overly critical. Lola knows damn near every illness that exists by the scientific name. That's how much attention to detail she has when it comes to health issues. We poke fun at her about it all the time. Oftentimes, she's accurate in her assessments, but a lot of times, most of us conclude that she's just being the hypochondriac we've come to accept her to be. Some urgent stuff came up at home, and Lola's husband was unable to leave Lagos as planned, so he was not going to be around for the delivery. He would arrive a few days later. My sister Tokpe, who Lola was staying with, was present at the surgery. While my mom watched the kids at home. After Lola was wheeled into the recovery ward with her baby, she started sensing that something may be wrong, but Tokwa must have thought, okay, here we go again. And Tokwa repeatedly told her that everything was fine, but Lola wouldn't relent. So she decided to call the attention of the neonatologist to re-examine the baby, just to help put Lola's mind at ease. The neonatologist checked on him again, so did the pediatrician, Both of them concluded that her baby boy was in perfect health. He didn't need any further examination and that Lola should just relax and get some rest. The pediatrician who examined Lola's baby had 33 years of experience. He even suggested that the baby didn't need the second or third day checkups because, in his words, this is a perfect baby. This was coming from a veteran pediatrician at Virginia Hospital Center. That's as good as it gets with healthcare in Virginia. Why wouldn't she trust his judgment? A mother's instinct must be stronger than any other connection because Lola kept feeling uncomfortable. After a while in the recovery ward, Lola noticed that her baby wasn't breathing normally. Something about his breathing just didn't seem right. This is her third baby, so she was pretty confident about how his breathing ought to be. So Lola again insisted that Tokwe should go and get the nurses and have them examine the baby again just to give her peace of mind so that she could finally relax and get some rest. Tokwe reluctantly indulged her and then she called the nurses. They came back and they took the baby from her and after a little while, Lola's fears were confirmed. The nurses came back to tell Tokwe and Lola that She may have been right, that her baby wasn't oxygenating properly, and that a cardiologist and a cardiac surgeon have been contacted and were being flown in via helicopter. This was considered a very serious emergency. The doctors came back in, and the most senior one asked to sit down. He then grabbed a piece of paper and said to Lola, I need to draw this. Then he began to draw. His drawing was of a heart. He began to explain what they had found was wrong with her baby. It sounded like an intense biology class to Lola, but she paid full attention. Her baby had been diagnosed with a transposition of the great arteries. Transposition of the great arteries is a serious but rare heart defect present at birth, in which the two main arteries leaving the heart are reversed or transposed. This condition changes the way blood circulates through the body, leaving a shortage of oxygen in the blood that is flowing from the heart to the rest of the body. Now, Without an adequate supply of oxygen-rich blood, the body can't function properly and the baby faces serious complications or death. It is usually detected either prenatally or as it was in Lola's case, within the first hours of life. Corrective surgery soon after birth is the usual treatment for transposition of the great arteries. It can be an alarming discovery, but with surgery, the outlook is usually promising. Later that night, they came back to tell Lola that her baby was being flown out in a life support air ambulance to a level 4 neonatal intensive care unit. The facility they were in, Virginia Hospital Center, only had a level 3 neonatal intensive care unit and they couldn't handle this level of complication. They flew him out that night to one of the top facilities in the U.S. for complicated neonatal care. The Level 4 Neonatal Intensive Care Unit of Innova Hospital for Children. Lola was so anxious that after completing the paperwork that allows him to fly the baby, she insisted on leaving Virginia Hospital Center to go and be with her baby. This was barely 12 hours after her surgery. Her anxiety must have seriously raised her adrenaline levels, allowing her to leave the hospital. She was in pain, but her pain couldn't compare to her anxiety. She just wanted to be with her son. On the fifth day of his life, the surgery to correct his congenital transposition of the great arteries took place. It's usually a seven to eight hour surgery during which The functions of the heart and lungs are bypassed through a special machine. The surgery to correct the heart was successful, but for some odd reason, his lungs collapsed and wouldn't return to normal function, so they placed them on the ECMO machine. The ECMO machine is similar to the heart-lung bypass machine used in open heart surgery. It pumps and oxygenates a patient's blood outside of the body, allowing the heart and the lungs to rest. This was the only way to keep him alive since his lungs had collapsed. Then came all the experts from everywhere trying everything they possibly could to save him. They did four x-rays a day every six hours. There were daily brain scans and they monitored him very closely. It was very traumatic. The ECMO machine kept him alive but not without its own issues. As blood passes through the machine... It causes a reaction when it gets back into the body, which causes swelling. This caused an inflammatory cycle and that can't be allowed to go on for too long, so at some point a call had to be made, and I believe it may have been day 12, to take him off the ECMO machine. They took him off the machine to see if it could get his lungs to kind of pick back up on its own. But as soon as he was taken off the machine, he had a cardiac arrest. His heart stopped functioning. Here the physicians were thinking they had success with the heart, and all they had to worry about was his lungs. And then his heart failed as well. There was immediate panic. Everything he was connected to was beeping. CPR was being performed on him to revive him. People were running up and down the room trying everything they could. Lola said she noticed all the numbers running down, on the machines they all eventually ran down to zero she looked around the room and all she saw on everyone's face was despair he passed away we'll be back after a quick break
1: we'll be right back
0: As you can probably already imagine, this was devastating. It was the worst possible outcome. Lola called me moments before he passed away. She said to me, I think this is it. I don't think he's going to make it. It was the worst moment in recent history for our family. I couldn't stop the tears. I told my wife Dolly. She couldn't stop crying. A few minutes after the call, we picked up Tammy from daycare and got on the highway. We drove down to Virginia. On our way to Virginia, Dolly and I talked about many things. It was an approximately 10-hour drive. Our kids ate and fell asleep in the backseat as we drove. So we had time to reflect on the whole idea of birth tourism and what it meant for us and many families like ours. My sister Lara almost losing her baby is the reason we insisted on going to the UK to have our baby. And we almost lost our baby in the UK as well. My cousins and other siblings, including Lola, had their babies in Nigeria. Even Lara had a second baby in Nigeria after her horrible experience and everything worked out fine. So when one examines the stats at that level, you begin to wonder if it's even necessary to go abroad at all. I mean, look at this situation. Lola chose to have her third baby here and then this happened. It's a little silly, but one can't help but imagine if having the baby in Nigeria could have resulted in a different outcome for Lola. Eventually, emotions calm down a bit and one can think much more clearly about everything. A more logical and rational conclusion is that Lola's baby would have had the same condition, even if she chose to have the baby in Nigeria. Maybe if she had done that, we wouldn't even know what the cause of death was. Maybe we would have known and there wouldn't have been a level four neonatal intensive care facility to take him to. It it would have been or could have been blamed on something else. Sometimes... Mothers could even feel like it was something they did wrong that caused the death of their child. Imagine living with that, not really knowing what happened and why. And then you begin to appreciate the fact that even though he didn't make it, the choice to have the baby in Virginia gave she and her husband the confidence that everything possible was done in an attempt to save the life of their baby. This is why birth tourism is still a reasonable option for those who can afford it. Knowing that you've given your loved ones the best chance at success, that's what it's all about. Lola and her husband were tested as part of the root cause analysis. Everything came back normal. It wasn't anything she did wrong or didn't do that caused the transposition of his arteries. It can only be qualified as a random act of God. At least she and her husband are confident about that much. Just knowing that this had to be the will of God, and there's absolutely nothing else anyone could have done to save his life. That's all one needs sometimes. Which brings me to something else. How strong Lola and her husband were through it all. When we arrived in Virginia, I had to be really strong, not just for Lola and her husband, but for my other sister, Tope, and my mom, who witnessed everything firsthand. It wasn't easy. The most shocking thing to me, though, was how well Lola was handling the loss. She kept a smile, for the most part, and engaged in light, fun conversation. I thought it would be a good idea to spend time outdoors with the entire family, so we planned a few fun activities. On one of the days, we drove up to D.C., did some sightseeing of the capital, and visited the National Zoo with all of the kids. On other days, we went out to eat lunch or dinner as a group. I mean, we had planned to do all of that anyway, but not without Lola and her husband's newborn. We tried as much as possible to make good memories of the time. I believe we did. I bet I have some pictures from that time on my Instagram page. It was September 2014. I've never seen that much strength displayed by anyone in the wake of such a tragedy. Lola was exceptionally strong. At some point... I imagine that she may have still been in shock and wasn't quite fully aware of what just happened and that she would eventually break down, but she didn't. At least not in the five days we spent in Virginia. She only cried once and it was at the funeral. And it was brief. It was the moment when she realized we were leaving him behind. The moment she realized he was not coming home with us. I can never forget how strong she ended up being for all of us. I remember folks only crying when they were alone. No one dared to cry in front of Lola. For fear of her breaking down as well. When I interviewed Lola a few days before this recording. I asked her to tell me the story so that I could ensure that I told it accurately. I'm going to play you some excerpts of that interview.
1: You know, and they had done the checks and I still kept feeling this strong, very strong instinct. I couldn't sleep. And then I told this, I said, OK, you know what? Let's just give this baby to the nurses. Let them just go and check for the sake of checking, just to do their normal routine checks. And then we'll feed the baby and then maybe I can get some rest. After I hear that, OK, everything is fine. And then they went... And that was the last time I held him. So I went through, um, so by the time they took the baby away, they told me that that night the baby had to fly out of the hospital in a life support ambulance to a level 4 NICU. We were in a level 3 NICU. They couldn't handle the case. They had to fly him out. They flew him out, and then I told myself, I'm getting up from this bed today. I literally had the surgery at 10 i got up at about 8 30 to go down to the nicu to sign off that they should take him to the next level four that's like the highest level nicu so they took him there and then i joined him in the morning i told my doctor that i was leaving the hospital the next day my doctor said it's not possible he had a surgery yesterday and then he gave me some criteria he said well in my 42 years of experience i've never seen this kind of person that wants to get up after less than 12 hours of surgery but if you feel like you are really up to it i will do my checks And I will test the things that will show me that you're recovering normally, and then I'll let you go. And by the next morning at 10 a.m., I was out of the hospital. I walked out of the hospital. (laughs) Adrenaline. So I walked out of the hospital, was with Sister, and straight to Inova. Inova was the level four NICU they took us to. And um, I went to see him for the first time.
0: This interview was conducted on September 4th four days before the third anniversary of his death. And Lola is able to talk so easily about it. She even found some humor in some parts of it. I asked Lola how she was able to handle it so well. She believes her faith in God had a lot to do with it. And the fact that she was mentally prepared for the worst. I imagine that the closure she was able to get Knowing that she and her husband did their best at the time also helped.
1: Yeah, and another thing, another angle to it is the support from family. Sister was an angel in jail. Like, if without her, I don't know that I would have coped. The support was fantastic. You know, food. You know, just talking, just hugging. Just she was just there perfectly at the right time when I needed you know, her to be, there was also the angle of how do you deal with the siblings and how do you tell them what has happened? How do you, you know, yeah. there was so many, so many angles to it. But yeah. uh, And that was pretty much the experience.
0: A few days before the release of this episode, Bella sent me a link to a song. She told me how she listened to it whenever she thought about him. The words resonate so much, she said. She wanted me to include it in this episode. The song is titled So Soon by an artist named Mahar Zain. Mm.
2: My eyes I see in front of me I still can hear your voice calling out my name And I remember all the stories you told me I miss the time you were around I miss the time you were around But I'm so grateful Every moment I spent with you Cause I know life won't last forever You went so soon, so soon You left so soon, so soon I have to move on I know it's been too long I gotta stop the tears Keep my faith and be strong I'll try to take it all Even though it's so hard I see you in my dreams But when I wake up you are gone Gone so soon
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Nigerian American. Please subscribe and feel free to share this podcast. You can also reach us by our email, Nigerian American Podcast at gmail.com. My name is LD.